Welcome to another PSD cast from Power Systems Design. I'm your host, Alex Paul, and today I've got Keith Evans. He's with the uh, United States Power Electronics Industry Collaborative, and um, well, we're going to talk about the uh, power electronics industry. Welcome to the show, Keith. Thank you, Alex. It's great to be here. Well, I'm really glad to have you here because you're the president and CEO of Kyma uh, Technologies, right? Uh, what uh, role do they play in the industry? Kyma uh, Technologies is a leading provider of wide band gap semiconductor materials, and those have lots of applications, and, and including um, next-generation power electronics. Right. Well, and as our audience is very familiar, um, we've been covering that technology very closely lately because um, in, at the board level, Keith, it's finally, quote-unquote, arrived. We've actually got real products, real design-ins, mass production, um, major manufacturers actually using the technology in their devices. So you're absolutely right. Wideband gap semiconductors have arrived, and they've arrived large. So now, obviously, um, the organization is very big picture if you're at the uh, materials level. Yeah, yeah. The, the materials are the, the basis for, for everything, and uh, it's the wide band gap semiconductors are, are uh, you know, the technology behind them and, and their fundamental properties allow more energy efficient electronics that are smaller and less temperature sensitive to be made and that's that's you know one of the reasons there's the big ramp that you alluded to in their their um, market penetration it's it's it is just at the cusp of, of gaining significant market traction but there's a lot of players running hard at it and it's it's just a really interesting space to be in but i, sh I should say that yeah. the u.s power electronics industry collaborative is not just about wide band gaps they're about all power electronics and we recognize that at least i'd say 99% plus of today's power electronics are still made out of silicon. The wide band gaps are kind of taken into the next level where performance and, and form factor are, are a premium. Right. And, that, and also, uh, as you uh, allude to, not just the uh, silicon, but then the 90% of uh, passive devices and the boards. And I mean, there's, as, well, that's why it's an industry, right? It's everything. That's right. We we try to look at the the entire uh, industry, the full supply chain, and it turns out, you know, I was part of a a, a lot of people waving the wide band gap semiconductor flag, but it turns out in order for those to really be used in some of the more pressing applications, one needs to have it to to simultaneously realize advances in on the passive side for capacitors and magnetics. So there's a lot exactly. of research going on there. And that, that all plays into the board-level applications. Right. Well, um, one of the things that um, well, we've had Alex Leto on the show and uh, Paul Kierstadt from Wolfspeed and, you know, so the, the, the big players at the component level with the wideband gap semiconductors. And it is an, it's a very disruptive technology, and, uh, it's, but it's also pushing the silicon industry forward as well because the packaging with the reduced parasitics that helps that silicon carbide or gallium nitride device will also help the silicon device because of its better design. Right, right, right. Yeah, it turns out that uh, the passives are the largest components when you start shrinking the semiconductors down. I don't know that, that silicon benefits as much as the wide band gaps from those improved passives, but certainly it does benefit. 
Exactly. Well, but it's it, 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 the nice thing is is that it's it is pushing the entire industry forward because uh, it's leading to uh, higher switching frequencies, um, smaller magnetics. You can get away with smaller coils and inductors, uh, but you still have to move electrons around. I mean, you can't get away from the laws of physics. <laughs> That's right. So um, now, as far as um, the PEIC. Um, do they have a stated goal, or is it just a general industry promotional organization? We have a, a mission statement, and we've written it in different ways at different times. But you know, one one that I like the most is that the Peak's mission is to develop an action plan to increase U.S. competitiveness in the global power electronics industry, and we're 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 really hyper focused on doing whatever it takes to to create jobs today and tomorrow. So we're, we're looking at where are we weak in today's supply chain, where's the supply chain going, and how can we increase our participation going forward. Well, that's a really great thing, uh, Keith. I mean, I'm, I'm really uh, – that's one of the reasons I had you on the show, in fact, because um, working at the uh, – industry, uh, you know, the development, product, product development level, sometimes we forget some of the bigger picture issues at the legislative effort level, at the international trade effort level, and those are all very critical. Yep, yep, agreed. And Pete was fortunate enough to, to have uh, the U.S. Department of Commerce uh, put a call for proposals out uh, a little over two years ago for uh, for some, you, know, you could propose into it to do anything about any kind of important industry to to increase you know jobs in the U.S. and and U.S. participation in the associated industries. So it, we we wrote mm-hmm. a proposal that really matched the Peak's goal structure, and we were funded. And we we received a half a million dollars, and we're just in the, the stage of closing up that program, and and it resulted in a roadmap uh, that. We will publish in the near term. It's going to be um, you know, provided free to our members, and we're going to have a nominal fee for it um, for non-members. And, and we're hoping to, to grow the membership so people can, because the membership for some, for the smaller companies especially, is less expensive than, than the roadmap will be. But we really lay out um, uh, our thoughts on, on what the U.S. can do going forward. And we, we have... Um, have three uh, goal structures uh, within that project and, and associated with Pete's overall mission, and that is to to study the supply chain and understand the gaps today and tomorrow, uh, analyze what we can do about it, and then and make recommendations um, accordingly. And then there's a, a third component that's real key, and that is making sure we have the right workforce to fill the jobs that hopefully we're going to be successful in creating or in help. Uh, get created. And so when we look at the universities, we really want to kind of impedance match the number of graduates coming out and, and also make sure they have the right programs so that they can kind of hit the ground running when they when they leave and join either a small company or a large company or a government laboratory to, to um, keep pushing this technology forward. Mm-hmm. Well, I understand you just recently got a very high-profile new member. We we have a few, and I think you're you're. I know you carried the uh, press release 
um, about the Oak Ridge National Laboratory uh, team joining the group. Right. So we're really, really happy to have them. Um, they had gave a really nice presentation at our uh, annual face-to-face member meeting in 2014, and uh, we were so happy that they joined us. But they are, they are a major powerhouse in the power electronics space, especially as it relates to transportation. And if you just spend a little mm-hmm. time on their website, you can just see they've got so many great things going on. And and they have and they're really good at so many other things like like all the Department of Energy laboratories. They're also right. a major leader in 3D printing, and they've actually yeah. printed a car. <laughs> and they didn't print the uh, the engine that went into it, but most of the rest of the stuff on it. And it's been getting right. a lot of press. Um, and we see well, we, we actually. Well, I apologize, Keith. We actually cover a lot of uh, the NRE, uh, L, and uh, Energy.gov and Oak Ridge because of the fact, as you point out, they're breaking all kinds of records and they're doing all kinds of incredibly cool things with power technology and other technologies. An interesting angle I wanted to mention is their, their prowess in 3D printing is something that we believe as a result of our NIST Amtech uh, project um, and, you know, the, the, the good information that we were able to get from the, the uh, supply chain, that 3D printing might become right in the critical path of power electronics evolution. Uh, uh, Agreed. And it's the packaging side that, that just packaging becomes more and more of a challenge as you put smaller and higher performance things all in a little space, right? And, and it sounds like you already know about that. <laughs> well, uh, really the thing is, though, is it's interesting to get the perspective from people on uh, in, in the same playing field, but on other sides of the stands. Yeah. yeah. And, and one of the gaps in the, the the supply chain in the U.S. is currently on the packaging side. I mean, a lot of things kind of, they might get made here or designed here, but they end up, in Asia, typically, and then you got a room full of people, you know, putting them on circuit boards and things like that. Well, future packages, if they're going to be made with 3D printing, we feel that the U.S. has an opportunity to take a leadership position there and already is, and uh, and so maybe, you know, we can grow a lot of jobs in that part of the power electronics supply chain in the future. Well, I agree with you completely, Keith, on multiple levels. I mean, the first being that <clears throat> a 3D printing-based uh, factory can compete toe-to-toe with a factory anywhere in the world because the uh, labor costs are then just maintenance and engineering and management, and your shipping costs, of course, you're in the person's backyard. So I think 3D printing is going to revolutionize manufacturing on a lot of levels. And then the other side of that is, of course, um, as my audience knows, uh, one of the ways that I look at technology and evaluate its, uh, you know, the level of, of sophistication is how precisely can it apply uh, energy and 3D printing, by definition, is extremely precise application of energy because you're either sintering or melting or extruding or doing something to a very very specific point. And the smaller the point you can access, the more precise you, the device you can make, and of course, the more sophisticated your power electronics have to be, your logic circuits have to be, your sensors, the entire chain. I share your excitement and enthusiasm there, Alex. Oh, it, I love it's it. Busy, 
I would like to note that we have, you know, I mean, Oak Ridge is an awesome, um, it's just, you know, fantastic. They joined the peak. We have two other Department of Energy laboratories as well as members, and that is Argonne National Laboratories and uh, Sandia National Laboratories. Sandia Neither are shabby. Long-term powerhouse in wide band gap semiconductor devices, especially mm-hmm. gallium nitride, and traditionally they've been associated more with solid-state lighting, but they've, they've uh, just like many groups, have you know, kind of horizontally, horizontally integrated, if you will, into the power electronics side. And then Argonne National Laboratory is uh, their representative, John Wren, sits on the peak board of directors. He leads our workforce development effort. And Argonne is, is you know, world-class in, in advanced uh, characterization of advanced materials, and they're also mm-hmm, mm-hmm. moving in the direction of, of uh, high-end uh, test and reliability testing of, of some of the new devices coming. Okay, now, this is, this is related, but a little bit of an aside, Keith. Um, how much of the issue of silicon carbide, I recognize that gallium nitride is a different issue when it comes to supply chain and manufacturing, but in the case of silicon carbide, because it uh, sublimates and you need an insanely sophisticated uh, reactor to make it, uh, as far as I know, um, there's only the the one um, that uh, Cree ma- maintains in uh, North Carolina and there's some epitaxial uh, places, but what about just... Mi- you know, a government-subsidized six-inch fab for silicon carbide. I mean, that's an insanely huge effort on the pro- part of a small company. Why couldn't the government step in and help there? Well, actually, the government has stepped in uh, very nicely. The, the Power America Institute that's headed up at North Carolina State University has is a de- Department of Energy-funded institute, and they... They have um, done a marvelous job of advancing the wideband gap power electronics. And specifically, they have brought in a, a partially filled uh, Texas-based uh, silicon foundry uh, and have uh, done what it takes to leverage the excess capacity and run silicon carbide through it. So, you know, Cree has a... You know, a marvelous uh, lead, and, and they're an incredible company. And I guess that's that's all moving into uh, wolf speed now. Um, they've done so much, and the, the smaller players in the U.S., just like you say, a, a small company can't just do that overnight. But the Power America Institute is enabling small silicon carbide-based companies to begin manufacturing silicon carbide devices in a fabulous way using XFab in Texas as their foundry, and uh, well, my, my grandchild just joined me here. Um, Not a problem. Well, hey, and, what I would love to do is get down. I mean, maybe we can arrange a visit and come down and do a video. That'd be fantastic. And the, uh, the Peak's next um, in-person member meeting is going to be on November 2nd and 3rd of this year, and Power America is hosting it. And so maybe, maybe you could talk to us all together during that meeting. And, and, and where is that going to be held? That will be at North Carolina State University. Ah, 
Gotcha, gotcha. Um, well, I, I, I personally, I live in uh, Germany right now, so it might be a little difficult for me to get out there, but um, I definitely will be following up on what's going on there. And, well, the whole aspect of white bank F semiconductors, this is an industry, uh, I recognize that Pete does more than that, but that is something that is very germane to the industry right now. Very, uh, It's a disruptive technology that we must get uh, primacy in, that we must... Uh, I mean, I, I recognize that uh, there is an international marketplace and that uh, every country should have, uh, you know, cards on the table, but then we should have some cards, too, and ours could be white bank apps, semiconductors, you know? Sure. Hey, Alex, I, I think it's useful to mention that uh, whereas Cree has early mover advantage in the silicon carbide substrate and heavy side, and, and they are doing, you know, fantastically from my perspective, on the, the, you were mentioning high temperature PVT, physical vapor transport or sublimation grown silicon carbide substrates. There are two other serious U.S. players. One of them is Dow Corning, uh, who's been, you know, has silicon carbide product in the market for some time. And then 2.6 Corporation, they are uh, doing a fantastic job. I think they've demonstrated 8 inch diameter silicon carbide. Well, I don't think I know because I saw it. And uh, I, I believe they're shipping six inch. Um, and so pre uh, Dow Corning N26 are really you know, supporting the, the, the base material part of the silicon carbide power electronics supply chain. Yes, I think that's great. I really do. And then, uh, as, as you pointed out, it's, it drives the entire circuit. And, uh, but then again, it's the entire circuit is what Peak's interested in. And, uh, of course, making sure that um, America has a, a role, uh, a, a, you know, a spot in the game, a chair in the orchestra, as it were. Yeah, and so, then we, you know, some of, some of uh, Peak's other members are, you know, well vertical of the baseline material. We've got International Rectifier and Infineon. I think that's going to become one member maybe next year because... Uh, and yeah. acquired IR uh, about a year ago. Um, certainly, exactly. they're they're pretty vertical of the substrate. We we have um, you know HRL Laboratories is there. We we've got uh, General Motors, and and uh, General Motors of course is an end systems uh, assembler and and manufacturer. Mm -hmm. We have Keysight Technologies mm -hmm. that. That uh, spun, you know, it's essentially the the old Hewlett Packard, the high end test equipment part of them, and they were right. Nice enough to host uh, our member meeting uh, last year. And we actually, we had it in the Agilent headquarters <laughs> just due to some scheduling differences. I'm really glad we had you on the show because all the companies you mentioned are all companies that uh, we interact with actively uh, in, within the publication on the website and at the trade shows in our industry, APEC and the like. Interestingly, the you know whereas Power America is really driving the silicon carbide side forward, I think there that there's an opportunity to do more with gallium nitride in the U.S. And the you know we've got GAN Systems, they're headquartered in Canada and they're on the peak. And and you mentioned I think EPC and also the mm -hmm. IR part of Infineon doing their GAN on silicon work. But most, if not all, of that is leveraging. Or, or, or being done through foundries, mostly in Asia, or maybe entirely in Asia. And we right. really we got to bring that some of those activities brought into the U.S. or at least added to the Agreed. Supply. Agreed. 
So, hey, Keith, um, unfortunately it is a podcast and we can't go on and on, although it's a topic we could go on and on and on. <laughs> but uh, before I let you go, one thing I always do on the podcast is I give the guest the last word so you get to, uh, you could talk a little bit more about uh, the organization or about um, a project that you'd like to uh, push or shout out to a friend in the audience or just a tip for the people listening. But the floor is yours. I'm going to move the phone to another spot here so my grandchild doesn't do the podcast. <laughs> Not a problem. <laughs> um, well, I just want to say I really appreciate the opportunity, Alex, to, to do this with you. And, and uh, you know, Power Electronics is going to become a, a, you know, a $40 or $50 billion industry at the device level. I mean, it's already huge, dominated by silicon. We can, we've already talked about how that's evolving. But we're, we're hopeful of attracting more members, and you don't have to be U.S. headquartered to join us, and uh, you just have to be interested in growing some jobs, hopefully a lot of jobs in the U.S. So we hear, hope to hear from people. I hope this podcast can help make that happen. Excellent. And we'll also give us, the, give us the URL now, the website, but we'll also put it on the page with the podcast so they can directly click through. Yeah, it's www.peic-us.org. Excellent. Hey, Keith, thank you so much. And like I said, I'm really glad that uh, we wound up getting uh, in contact with each other because uh, we definitely want to get your voice heard by our audience, and I want to drag you back on the show downstream, all right? Thank you very much, Alex. I appreciate it. Uh, the pleasure is mine. And I'd like to thank everybody out there in the audience for taking the time to be with us. We wouldn't be here without you. Tell your friends. This is Alex Paul for, Paul, for PSDCast, Power Systems Design. Have a great day.